All right, I admit it. I'm a podcast junkie. And so is my guest today, Harry Duran. In fact, he's so much of a podcast junkie that he named his podcast Podcast Junkies. I've known about Harry and his show ever since I read an article he wrote about podcasting. How meta is that? I think it was called something like the definitive list of podcasts about podcasts. He also runs Fullcast, a podcast production agency. So he is an absolute wealth of knowledge, and I love his casual and friendly approach to just about everything that he does. Like most podcasters, he doesn't look at other podcasters as competition. Instead, he's all about partnership and collaboration. So even though I have my own podcast about podcast and I just started my own podcast agency, he was more than willing to share his knowledge, and I'm confident you're going to find it incredibly valuable. We learn about his approach to interviewing, he shares some ninja tricks on how to find great podcast guests, and he shares an amazing recipe to get guests to share his show. Having worked with countless podcasters himself, he's tried and tested just about everything. So through his experiments and through his trial and error, we're going to learn a lot of what to do and what not to do. So without further ado, let's jump straight in to the conversation. Harry, welcome to the show. Hey, Billy. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm absolutely so excited to dive in and hear your story and talk shop and get to know you better. I always love doing the research and learning about someone before I meet them because I feel like I'm walking in with at least some depth of knowledge about what your interests are and who you are as a human being, all those sorts of things. And so I'm going to start off with a tough question, which is, I know you're a big EDM fan. Who, and you love especially house music, who's your favorite DJ? <laughs> it's like asking a, child, a parent to pick their, their favorite. <laughs> Just for point of clarification, and because I grew up DJing, so for the benefit of listener, I actually learned how to DJ on vinyl, so on turntables, so I can beat match on vinyl, which is a special skill that I don't, I don't know when I'll be able to put to use again. <laughs> but I grew up on house music, and I differentiate that from specifically EDM, because I think people who come into the genre later, they see DJs like David Getter, Steve Aoki, and <laughs> obviously like any other genre of music, there's like mm-hmm. so many subjects genres. So I grew up in the era of when actual house music was born, which is technically, depending where you point to, it's either New York or Chicago house mm-hmm. music. So some of my favorite DJs are some of those house music DJs, uh, DJ Sneak, Derek Carter, Mark Farina, mm. a specific like genre of funky, like Jack and House that I really like. I think we would have a very good time hanging out, my friend, because that's exactly what I like as well. The older stuff, the better, in my opinion, the better stuff. So we could totally geek out on that. But I think the listeners are here to learn more about your podcast journey. To get there, let's start with the fact that you're an entrepreneurial spirit. You even labeled it you were a wantrepreneur for a very long time. You spent almost 20 years in corporate land. And so I really relate to that. But you grew up, speaking of vinyl, listening to Jim Rohn, thinking Grow Rich, flash forward to your more adult life, Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins. These are influential people in your life that all have this motivational entrepreneurial slant to them and bend to them. But I want to go back even further. You were born in El Salvador. You landed in Yonkers. But again, you had this early entrepreneur entrepreneurial bug. What planted that bug? Talk to us a little bit about your childhood and how you became a entrepreneur early in life. Interesting. If I look back, I can see that there's entrepreneurial spirit there. But I don't know if at the time that was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. If I think about the first time that I got paid to do something where it wasn't like a job where I would mm-hmm. show up and be like, hey, do this work and get paid. Now that I think about it, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but I think about DJing because obviously when I started DJing my first gigs, I the first time I got paid to DJ a gig, I was just like, whoa, this is awesome. Like I get to be paid money to do something that I'm extremely passionate about. So like different than most other folks who probably talk about their first lemonade stand. I did have a paper route. I did have that early on. But I think the one that's most memorable for me is this idea of doing something that I was passionate about. In this case was like music. So literally like lugging five foot and a half speakers, you know, with these huge subwoofers to like the high school dance. And thank God for my parents support. Like we had a station wagon at the time. So we were loading those huge monstrosities of speakers around to gigs. And so that was like the first time when I was really like, oh, this concept 
that I only came to appreciate later on in life of like being paid for something that lights you up. Yeah, it lights you up. And to your point, you weren't employed by a company, so to speak, a corporation, which I know you landed in the financial sector. But one of the things that you did was you, it wasn't for lack of trying. You had a few things that happened. And again, this is all through my own just piecing together bits and parts of your story. So I'll, I'll want you to add the color. But one of the things that I was fascinated about is that you had this app idea and you wanted to do this DJ app called Know Your DJ, which really led you to your podcasting journey because you were at the New Media Expo in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and thinking in your mind that you're going to get all these globetrotting DJs. And in your mind, you had a vision, but ultimately that changed when you were at this event. Talk to us about that event and sort of what was the revelation or the thing that helped you realize, you know what, I'm going to take this podcasting journey. I think as I was thinking about it, I had been listening to shows. So to your point, I was working on a partner with a friend of mine to create Know Your DJ. And it was just born out of a, you know, scratch my own itch, pain point, going to music festivals. I would love following DJs and, and it's the nature of electronic music. They're usually faceless entities. You don't get to see a lot of their faces online. You only get to see them at a music festival. So sometimes I'd be like, I think the DJ that I like is coming up next. I don't know <laughs> for sure. It'd be nice if I could like put a face to a name. So I was like, well, maybe I should create an app for that. And I just pulled databases that were available at this time, Resident Advisor, I think has some stuff from Bandcamp and we we're piecing together their social media profile. So like kind of like a Tinder, you could swipe, see their Instagram, see their Twitter, see their SoundCloud, kind of like mm-hmm. all in one page. And I said, I was listening to Resident Advisor, which sure. is a great uh, site for people who are fans of electronic music. And they had a fantastic, fantastic podcast that they still do to this day. What I loved about it was the fact that they would go in depth with these DJs that I loved. I would only get to see them perform, so I wouldn't know much about them. There were thankfully a couple that I did get to meet. But having an hour long interview with somebody, you really get to know a little bit about them. And I also studied acting when I lived in New York. And I did that for about three years with a teacher by the name of James Price. It was Meisner technique. So it was really interesting for me just to get out of my comfort zone. And the reason that's relevant is I remember watching a show called uh, Inside the Actor Studio. Mm, love that one, man. And so uh, James, shout out, rest in peace, James Lipton. And I, what I thought was fascinating about that show, similar to the Resident Advisor podcast, was that he was highlighting these actors that you would normally just see acting and showing like off a of persona. But here in this, what I found fascinating is you would see them talk. And again, for about an hour, oh, actually they're revealing something personal about themselves. And so fast forward to the conference, the New Media Expo, I remember arriving there and I went with the intention of starting a show. So I started attending all the breakout sessions and that's where I saw Pat Flynn speak for the first time. Amy Porterfield was there, Scott Stratton. So I took the obligatory selfies <laughs> with, <laughs> with all of them. Which have sort of served you well, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I came back and someone, oh, I think it was Cliff Ravenscraft's talk. Someone introduced him, this guy, Chris, that I've been friends with. And he threw out the term, like, who's a podcast junkie or something to that effect? And I was like, oh, that's me. Because I remember staring at my phone. I'm like, oh, I've got like 30 podcasts on there. And then I got back and I said, so all these things were swirling around in my head. And I got back. I was like, well, what about a show like where I interview other podcasters? How meta is that? And there had been shows at the time. And Dave Jackson's School of Podcasting comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And I know Daniel J. Lewis, Audacity the Podcast. Audacity, yeah. And I know that there were other people doing it in the space. So I was like, I want to learn more. And so my first guest was Chase Reeves. He's uh, one of the co-founders of Fizzle. And he's got now his own YouTube channel. And his personality is just off the charts, like high energy for anyone that's ever met him or heard him. And I had seen him speak at New Media Expo because I was asking them about the Know You DJ app. And I'm like, oh, can you give me marketing ideas? And so when I came back home, I said, hey, Chase, if you remember me, I was the guy who asked you the question. Would you do me the honor of being my first guest? I remember I was like fumbling with the mic. I had the ATR 2100 at the time, couldn't get it to work, ended up doing earbuds. I was like super nervous. (laughs) You know, as they say, your 10th always sounds better than your first. Your 50th is going to sound better than your 10th. And I was off and running to the races and just started reaching out to anyone I had any sort of connection with. I remember Cynthia Sanchez, he was doing a podcast on Pinterest. Greg Hickman, he was doing mobile advertising and just early, and Elsie Escobar, she's also Salvadorian. Sure. So I said, hey, we're you know both Salvadorian. Would you come on the show? I was just trying to any sort of in or connection for those first 10 or 20, as you could probably relate to, like you, you have to find a connection point if people don't know who you are. But what was important for me is to build a relationship with these people, whether they knew I was doing that or not. So from day one, I was using video and we're using Squadcast for this recording. But at the time, there was no Squadcast. So it was 2014. I was using Skype with Call Recorder mm. because I wanted the face-to-face. I wanted to see my guests' body language. I wanted to be able to interact with them. And more importantly, build up that relationship that you don't get if you were just doing the audio only. Um, and inevitably, it worked because I would go to the podcast and conferences and, and you know, Elsie would be there or Gary Lee and be like, hey, 
Harry. Thanks for that hour-long conversation. Really enjoyed it. Got to talk about some things I normally don't talk about. And as a sort of like special like podcast junkies, like celebration, every hundred episodes, I invite Chase Reeves back. Oh, I love it. He came back for episode 100. He came back for episode 200. He's offered to come back every hundred episodes. And just as a point in time reference. Yeah. And like, we don't even talk about podcasting. I think we just talk about life, which is fun. That's one of the things I love about your show is that you really talk about the person. You'll get into the weeds and talk shop, but you're not just talking shop. You're talking about life. You're talking about business. You're talking about family. You have a very natural, welcoming approach to your show that I think makes the guests feel comfortable and open and willing to share their story in a way they maybe wouldn't share it somewhere else. And so I appreciate that. I just listened to your most recent one. You interviewed your John Malkovich's episode, right? Harry from Lower Street. You guys have so much in common, but there's obviously going to be things that you learn from each other. And I just love hearing conversations like that really add value to me as a newer podcaster to hear your journey, his journey. I love that. And, and speaking of Elsie, I've invited her. She said, yes, yeah, so she'll be on the show. Cliff, I invited him. Right. In fact, I just had an email correspondence with him yesterday. And so he's coming on the show. Yes. And so thanks for paving the way for someone like myself. I want to quote Elsie from your book. You said, you know, who asked the question about who enters the podcast space? It says a lot about the people who enter. Some enter because they want to be profitable. They want to hop on the bandwagon. Other people come in from a perspective of how the whole system is set up to own their business model. And then there's the people that are perfect for the medium. Maybe they tried logging in and it didn't work or they don't like it. They just don't want to sell products another way. They're doing it for the passion of the medium. And so the name of the show is For the Love of Podcast. And I read that quickly. So there's probably a few words messed up. The through line and the point that I got is that the people who do it for the passion, who do it for the love, those are the people that see the success because the audience feels that. Can you talk a little bit about that notion of like the love of the craft, the love of building those relationships and why that's so important for you? It's interesting. I've been thinking about the energy that I bring to these conversations and the honor that I have to get to speak to some of these people and the fact that I've built up a platform that allows me to connect with people that I admire. And I was just had a conversation with Stephanie Fuccio. She's the founder of Pod Rev Day, and that's going to be an upcoming episode uh, on Podcast Junkies. And I was telling her about, and I started a conversation with a guest. The way I've been describing is that my intention is to build a relationship that's going to last a lifetime. Mm. So even though it's like an hour long conversation, my intention, my energy, what I'm putting into the conversations, what could I do differently if I thought that this was going to be a lifetime relationship? Mm. And nine times out of 10, you know, there's people that have come on the show and we've stayed friends, but we just haven't talked afterwards or they just came on for one and that was it. There are the people that I've met early on, had on the show early on that I'm still friends with. If I think about that energy and that focus that I bring to that, it dovetails nicely with the, my other mantra of treating your guests like gold. Yeah. Like I always do everything I can and it gets harder and harder as you have more and more guests. But I started a Facebook group called Podcast Junkies Junkies. And then in the beginning, the idea was like, okay, anytime my guests are going to be doing something, I'm just going to shout it out and I'm going to let people know in the group, hey, by the way, did you notice like Danny Pena just released a documentary on about Gamertag Radio. Everyone that's doing cool things. Andrew Mason, who's the former CEO of Groupon, who is now the founder of Descript, he's been on a couple of times. So even if he's publishing something, I'm going to give him a shout out because he was a past guest. I try to do little things things on my Twitter account, I would build a list of past podcast junkies guests, mm. trying to build these little things to track what's been happening for my previous podcast guests. So just trying to do all things I can do. For a while, I was creating like these birthday cards, graphics in the podcast junkies, junkies group. I would say, hey, Patrick Keller from Big Seance Podcast, you know, I'd be like, hey, he just recelebrated a birthday. Let's all give him a happy birthday and shouting out past episodes and tagging people. So on the periphery, I'm always seeing what my podcasting peeps are doing, especially folks that have been on the show and trying to think about ways that I can amplify what they're doing. And it's a rising tide lifts all boats. To your point, as you are learning from the people that have been podcasting, that have been interviewing for a while. In that same way, Billy, like when I started in 2014, I thought I was late to the game. I thought it was just like, <laughs> who the heck is going to listen to this show? Like nobody knows who I am. How am I going to get these people on my show? They're not going to want to talk to me. So I had to just do something. I didn't know if I was doing anything differently. But I knew that I could at least come to it and give it, you know, that guest as much of my intention as possible. Be super curious about them. Make sure my energy, my focus is on them throughout the entire conversation. Mm -hmm. That's why the visual is awesome. I can ask someone a tough question or ask someone a, a challenging question and I can see them. And for the listener, you may hear a pause, but it's me just finger on my chin, eyes rolled up, thinking about the question Billy just asked me. That whole body language, you don't get that if it's just audio. So I can be like, oh, Billy's thinking thoughtfully about giving me a good answer because if it's 
was just audio, you'd be like 10 seconds mm-hmm. of silence. You'd What's be like, happening? Yeah, are you yeah. still there? <laughs> like, <laughs> so all these little things I just learned over time. I feel like I'm a lifelong student of the craft. Everything from early days of, I remember my parents like loved 60 Minutes and they, Barbara Walters would have that, you know, that special when she has some like huge guests on the TV. And I just turned 50 last month. So I'm dating myself with these references. But when Barbara Walters would have a guest, it'd be like an hour of TV and you'd, <laughs> my parents would watch it. So we'd have to watch it. <laughs> right. Those are the days back then. You didn't have a lot of choices. I thought about that. And as I started to get into the podcasting space, folks like Tim Ferriss, Alec Baldwin has a great podcast called Here's the Thing. And then obviously the Terry Grosses, the Charlie Roses, the Larry Kings, like all these people, they all bring their own special flavor to it. And you know, present day, Jordan Harbinger, I know you've uh, spoken to him. There's a lot of people to follow and model and they all do it differently. Mm-hmm. Eric Conley comes to mind. He's, an, he's been a past guest. Figure out which fits you and your style. And over time, you'll eventually grow to have your own style as well. Yeah. And I think that does happen with time and it evolves. And two words come to mind. One is attention. The other is intention. I love that you walk in to an interview with the kind of intention, like treating your guests like gold or a new one, which I hadn't heard before, which I really love which is how do you make a lifelong friend with this human being? And not every time will they end up being, there's only so many lifetime friends one can have, but the intention is what matters. And then the attention, attention to detail, there's attention to them as a podcaster, as a creator. And how can you do things that will help make a memorable experience? Because the experience doesn't end when they stop the recording. The experience is multiple interactions. It's you giving the shout out on Twitter. It's you writing a blog post. So many different things you could do that highlight them, that boost them up. Because when you do make these connections, there's always going to be opportunity for you to revisit how they inspired you, how they empowered you, how they helped your audience. And there's just so many ways you could go about doing that. I think being creative and coming up with clever and and thoughtful ways to re-engage with them. It could be a text, a phone call. It could be anything that helps to reignite that relationship and that friendship. One of the things you talk about is this concept of three pillars, which you say is deliver, connect, and influence. Can you talk about what those three pillars represent? present. It's the framework that we use in our agency. So Fullcast is our agency. We're done for you podcast production agency. We work with businesses to launch, market, and produce their shows. It's things that I learned from my coach. One of my earliest coaches, still a coach to this day, is Taki Moore. He runs Black Belt. He's essentially a coach of coaches. <laughs> and he's also a student of Dan Sullivan, Dean Jackson, old school marketers. So learned a lot about not only being able to articulate a framework for how you teach people, because if people or students or anyone that wants to work with you see that you have a method or a process or a proprietary process, you're going to be taken on a journey and there's a system to how they're going to learn. I think in that first part, I think it's really important to understand the pieces that are required for a successful podcast. So deliver really in the beginning is this idea of planning and positioning. And this goes for whether you're a solo podcaster and you're ready to start your show and and you're thinking about all the moving parts, or if you're a business owner, because we work with a lot of business owners and they have a podcast that's an integral part of how they're going to build their business. Whichever one of those apply, those are the things to think about in the beginning. There's a little subdivision that happened in between. So it's plan and position. And that's what happens when you think about delivering. And really planning is naming your show, the branding, the cover art, all the things that you really don't think about in the beginning that you think might not be important. One of the things that's super important for new shows is don't get fancy with the name. People are trying to be like the two guys in the basement or the Action Jackson show or something, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it doesn't tell a listener like what they're going to get, or they should be able to see a name now and say, I have a rough idea of what that show is going to be about because that's extremely helpful with 1.4 million podcasts in the Apple podcast directory. Every little thing you can do as a podcaster is helpful. And then position is really, you know, things like hosting, the website, the gear that you're going to be using, this idea of like how you're going to plan your guests. And then in connect, the important thing is about producing and publishing a show. Without getting into the nitty gritty, it's how you're going to ensure that you have high quality audio, what platforms you're going to publish onto. And if you think about all these things, Billy, like these are things you could do with a pencil and a paper. Like you don't need to buy any gear. You don't need to schedule guests. You need to like think about what's the intention for my show? Who do I want to reach? Who's the show for? Who's the show is not for? I always say you should probably be repelling people as quickly as you're attracting them. Oh, interesting. I like that. Because if you're too vanilla, you're going to be like, oh, this just sounds like every other show out there. You know, and that last piece on influence is really where we focus on the promotion, the profiting, deciding what type of model is going to make sense for you. Are you going to try to like be another Tim Ferriss and try to get millions of downloads? Good luck, by the way. That's going to be incredibly hard. (laughs) But there's other models for how you can profit from your show. And since we do shows for businesses, 
I encourage our podcasters to actually put an ad read in there from day one, even if it's for your own thing, whether mm-hmm. that's a, a course that you teach, a PDF that you have, like a lead magnet or something to get yourself acclimated to doing ad reads, because as we all know, that's not something that comes naturally, but also get your listeners acclimated to it because you never know who might be listening. It could be someone that works in the marketing department. They've been listening to your 50 past episodes and they were like, wow, I like the show. I think I have a service that might be a fit. It's a lot of little things. And as you're probably coming to discover, there's no one silver bullet for a successful show. Mm. And that's why in the beginning, that first year, I had to pull out all the guerrilla marketing hats. I heard Michael O'Neill talk about getting a t-shirt made for his show early on. And I was like, oh, that's an idea. I'm going to borrow that idea. And I made, for those familiar with the show, it's bright yellow (laughs) with black lettering, which is also the color combination that's used in traffic signs. I came to find out later on that there's a reason for that because it's high contrast color. So I made a bright yellow shirt and would go to the early podcast conferences where nobody knew who I was, hand out the shirts and I'd say, hey, Billy, you want the free version or you want the $10 version of the shirt? (laughs) I'll say, I'll take the free one. I'm like, okay, pull out your phone, subscribe to the show, and then show me that you subscribe to Podcast Junkies and you get a free t-shirt. I love that. Oh man, that's the double whammy because now they're promoting your show and they're going to be a listener. That's genius right there. Yeah, you know, so inevitably see the pictures of the people on the way out the conferences, like they'd be on the bus to the airport and they'd wear the shirt and they'd shoot and they'd tag me on Twitter and be like, hey, Harry, thanks for the shirt. So it's just kind of that, that stuff that just keeps building connections back to show. I remember looking podcasts about podcasts and I stumbled across your article, which I think is like the exhaustive list of podcasts about podcasts. And this is my first exposure, but another great way to think about how to bring people to your podcast is through the written word, through SEO. And you already mentioned that having a title that shouts out what this show is all about. I think the other thing to think about is what is the search engine optimization component of a title as well? So that not only when somebody sees it, does they recognize, okay, this is what this show is all about, but also the search engines see it as this is what this show is all about. I want to dive into guests and specifically finding guests. You have a question that you ask at the end of an interview, which I really, really love, which helps to tee up future guests. Can you share what that question is? There's a couple, but the one you might be referring to is most of the time, sometimes I forget, but I ask, having gone through this experience, is there anyone that you think would be a good fit for this show? Gold, 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 gold. When I heard that, I'm like, oh man, like why haven't I been doing this the entire time? I love that. Especially in this podcasting community, Billy, you probably discover and find out that we all are like more tight-knit than any other community that I've experienced in terms of like all of us trying to help each other. There's a group of us that have been like doing it for a certain period of time and they come in waves and obviously there's folks like the Pat Flynn, Jordan Harbinger's been doing it for almost 12 years now, but we all kind of like help each other out. At least when I find new podcasters, I go out of my way to like help them as much as I can and meet them at podcast conferences. But you'll find that at the conferences and even through some of these recent events we've had virtually, I know what it's like. I mean, I don't know what it's like starting. I know how hard it is and I know how many beginner questions there are. And you know, that's why I even created like a one pager called a game plan. I'm like, look, this is the all the things that took me hours to find on YouTube when I first got started. Absolutely no need for you to be like wasting your time. You want a great mic, grab like the one I'm using, the Samsung Q2U. You want a professional mic, grab the mic Billy's got right now that just short sm7b <laughs> and that's it like stop trying to like reinvent the wheel because there's other things you could be focused on and i think the community has, has been extremely helpful for that as, as you might have discovered already Yes. To put it lightly, I think this community is so giving, so supportive, so caring about one another. And here's the thing. There is enough to go around. You have a podcast agency, production company that helps companies create podcasts. I'm doing the same. I mean, I'm in the process of building something very similar. It's not a unique idea. There's other people that are doing it, but there's, and you invited somebody on your show who's doing the same thing. And that's an example I want to give. So you mentioned the conversation with Harry Morton. Yeah. It was almost like super, super medic. Not only are we both named Harry, but <laughs> we right. have been podcasting and we both actually own a production company. His focus is more on like the high end, more like the Gimlet style, like fully produced shows for businesses with like music and all that stuff. I'm more of like interview based. We connected early on and I'm a, have an abundance mindset. Right. I feel like the slice of the pie, the pie itself, it's so huge with so many podcasts. There's enough work for everyone. There's so many people that need help with podcasts. I just start conversations with other agency owners. I'm always willing to learn from people. And I said, hey, just come on. I know technically you're in competition with what I do, but I don't see it that way. I think someone's used the word co-op. There's someone that used the marriage of the words competition and cooperation or someone tried to like do a blend of those to talk about what exactly that is. I think rising tide lifts all boats. You, you know? literally took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> literally took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly what it is. And having that abundance mindset, having the mindset there is a big enough pie where everyone can have their slice. There's enough for everyone. And I think the more we support one another, the more that helps the industry as a whole, because it is 
is very much in, in a lot of ways, it's had that Wild West thing going for a long time. And now it's becoming more formal. It's getting more structure behind it. But the fact is that the eyes are on this industry. And there is so many people jumping in that there is more than enough that goes around. Curious, who is your, I guess I would say ideal customer, but who gravitates to you to full cast the most? Who are you attracting? Is it small businesses, medium businesses? Is it more solopreneurs? Who do you feel is like your ideal fit? Right now, I think we're focused on business owners who ideally have a marketing budget because we're a premium price service. So I started with solopreneurs, people who were doing coaching in the beginning. But as the agency started getting more and more work, we worked on shows with companies like Dun & Bradstreet based in New York, a company called Media Math. And then when I was in California, we did some work for K-Swiss, the sneaker company. We launched a show for an Olympic medalist who just wanted support hands-on. And the way the offering is structured, the idea is that it's literally turnkey. So we assume clients are starting from zero. So we literally help them with everything from name of the show, description, cover art, music, intros, outros, calls to action. We want to be able to to guide them in structuring a show that's going to be a critical part of their existing marketing funnel. Mm -hmm. And I always tell clients, what's the one thing you want to listen to do as a result of having listened to your episode? Mm. You know, what they should be really clear. The sales maximum, a confused mind doesn't buy. Like, don't try to jam everything into the end of a podcast episode because as much as we'd like to think that there's like, your listeners are sitting with a notebook there and just be like, okay, can't wait for the knowledge bombs Billy's going to drop on the show and just <laughs> jotting everything down. That's not going to happen. So give them that one clear call to action. And remember, it's an audio medium. So if the word two is in there, is it T-O? Is it T-O-O? Is it the number two? Mm. Like when people are confused, they're not going to take the next step. Famously, I give the example of John Lee Dumas with Entrepreneur on Fire. He quickly realized how hard the word entrepreneur is to spell for some people. So he grabbed eofire.com. So one of the things we coach clients on is like get a URL specific to your podcast. And it doesn't have to be the location of your domain. You can always just do a redirect. Mm -hmm. I'd like to give the example of my partner. She's a photographer. She created a podcast. She coaches other photographers on how to start a photography business. So we called it Photo Business Help. <laughs> so it says what it does. And then that URL is important as well. So they can get redirect and give people that, that guidance. It is not to make it hard for your listener to engage with you, make it super easy, have a lead magnet for business owners and just like them to create that one piece of information that'll get the email, get people on your email list, and then have like a four-part welcome sequence. When people sign up to mine, the first four emails they get is my origin story. So what I shared with you at the beginning of this conversation, hey, I went, I was a DJ. Hey, I went to this conference. I was inspired by this. Tell all that. Mm -hmm. Before I even like talk about anything that we do as an agency. You're building trust. No like and trust, right? And shout out to Katie Kremitzos, a past guest who, who slightly tweaked that. She said, no love and trust. I love that. It's so funny too, because when we think about this whole thing, I love that you brought up that question. I actually had that in my notes. It's like, I'll just repeat it. It deserves being repeated. It's what's that one actionable step that you want your listener to take as a result of listening to your show? And the key emphasis is that one actionable step. And I love that you highlight how it needs to be super clear and free from potential misunderstanding because the less friction points there are, the better. It should be very direct and have a very, very clear and easy to understand. Go here. And going back to JLD is he has 99 designs as one of the sponsors and it's 99 designs forward slash fire. And you get like a $99 discount. I've used that like several times already because I just know that I'm going to get this discount and it's like he's benefiting because it's going to make his numbers look good, but it's really clean and simple. So again, takeaway from that is like, make it super simple, easy to remember. And remember, not everyone's going to know how to spell things. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. You're big on SEO. And as I already mentioned, I found you through a blog post that you wrote. Talk a little bit about what a podcaster can do to help themselves through the written word and through putting things out on the internet that will attract new listeners because of blog posts, articles, show notes, transcription, any of those things. Is there any best practices or advice that will help somebody? I think in the beginning, what was interesting is because it was just me and I was just scrambling to find every single way I could to have someone listen to the show. I left No Stone Unturned and there was no idea that was too silly for me to try. You know, whether it was the t-shirts or just trying out some of these new platforms, Blab TV was like popular for a while for people who were recording their podcasts. I would put my show on there. You have to customize the message sometimes to the platform. So whatever you promote on Twitter may not be the same thing mm -hmm. that you do on Instagram. I now have a team that shares our posts whenever Podcast Junkies goes live. When we set up a show, for example, for a client, we create a social media rollout plan. It's one of the first things we do and we tell them, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're gonna, Every time an episode goes live, we're going to create a static graphic and obviously Canva is the best place to do that. Make sure you do that. So you should have not only episodic artwork, but you should have a version of that that has ideally a picture of your 
your guest and then title of what you're going to speak about. So that gives you some different artwork that you can use. Because if you're just using your podcast episode, that gets old really quick and people start to see that repeatedly in their feed. They're like, oh, like, I don't know what this is. But when they see the name of a guest, Mm -hmm. when they see like a title, figure out which one of those aspects are more attractive. So if it's a guest not a lot of people know about, there may not be that much value in putting their name in the title. But you can be sure that if I have, for example, a lot of my guests are popular podcasters. So when I have Jordan Harbinger on the show, like I lead with that. I'm like Jordan Harbinger, you know, the importance of nailing your interview. And so there's a title, leveraging SEO best practices for the name. Be creative. There's tools that the same exact rules that apply to making a compelling blog post title, same exact rules you should be using for creating titles for your podcast episodes. And so do everything you can to let people know what they're going to be getting and then share it. And so when I mentioned that social media plan, we tell clients we're going to create these two graphics and then this is our plan. We're going to post it once a day on Twitter. The life of a tweet, as everyone knows, is like, it's basically like a fire hose of posts. So if you're just posting text, good luck having anyone see that. A text with a graphic, that's slightly better. A text with an audiogram, even better because if people see there's animation and they get the sense that there's an audio plane, they might listen to it. But if you don't have their earbuds, they'll probably skip it. So even better, a text with an audiogram with captions on it because then they can immediately, and it's typically like a 30 second soundbite. And if you see the word, I've done it myself where I see something that's an audiogram, I don't have my earbuds, but because they've placed the captions there, I'll sit there and I'll watch that. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to get your content on different platforms. Typically, Twitter and Instagram are not audio platforms. But if you create a 30 second, 60 second soundbite, you can do up to a 90 second movie, I believe on both of those. You're now giving those audiences a way to sample some of your content. And you're trying to do that across all platforms. So for Twitter, we publish five days, sometimes seven, every single day, different Mm. times that full week because Twitter's so fast. On Instagram, we'll publish either the graphic or we'll do the audiogram. And I know there's people that go next level, they publish it in their stories and I can't even keep up with all the like, yeah. my partner's trying to show me all the things on Instagram now. There's like reels, tweet has like leets or something. I'm just like, there's like so much stuff. Everyone's trying to do their version of TikTok now. So that's what we do on Instagram. We post it on LinkedIn. For clients, what we do is we have them create a LinkedIn company page just for your podcast. Mm-hmm. The reason what you want to do, Billy, is you want to create platforms where you can feel fine spamming and just letting people know all about the show because that's what that specific channel is created for. So on a LinkedIn company page for the show, I can post as much as I want about the show because if you signed up to follow it, that's that's guess right. what you're going to get. And that's the same logic for a Facebook group. Create a Facebook group for your show, if only to have a place where you can constantly like promote every single episode without having to worry about bothering people. Because anyone that opts in, I turn off the ability for people to post to it because it's not meant for them to post their stuff or say, hey, check out my show. I make it clear. I'm like, this is a place where I promote Podcast Junkies episodes and I talk about the show. So if you're in here, it's not going to be a surprise. What kind you know of what you're getting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what you're getting. And so, and then I, I created all the platforms for the show and then posted at least once on those platforms. We even create a Medium. You can create a Medium publication now. Medium was created by the founders of Twitter, highly traffic site. So we'll create a publication page and then we'll create a post every time a guest publishes or we publish an episode. And again, we're trying to be found on places that get traffic. Mm-hmm. I know there's a bit of controversy with people deciding, I only have audio, should I post it on YouTube? YouTube is the number two search engines. I like posting things there just because it has the ability to be found. You can put, I think it's like 4,000 characters in that description. So we post all the things about the show, the show notes, um, and then we refer back to the actual audio version of the podcast. If you Google Podcast Junkies right now, probably seven on any given day, seven to eight to nine of those links on the front page of Google are about my show. Mm -hmm. It's probably a YouTube link. It's probably the Spotify link. It's probably that blog post that you reference. I'm trying to like promote the show on sites that all are already getting traffic. So a lot of little things, obviously you can use a lot of scheduling tools to get this, do a lot of the, the heavy lifting, but to the extent that you can be consistent where people can find the show, because you may not be super active on that platform, but there may be someone because of certain keywords or, or hashtags that you're using that could find that topic. If you do it in enough places and you're going to kind of scratch and claw your way to getting your audience to grow because there's different people in different places. And even though it may not be an audio platform, the fact that you're there, that you have a presence there and that you have a strategy that goes along with it, like Twitter, you're posting daily or what you're doing with YouTube or, you know, including the captions, things of that nature. What social, you mentioned a platform that you used early on. And I feel like there's a lot of like hidden secrets that maybe if you go to this one platform, do you have any suggestions for like maybe the lesser known platform? Some of the platforms that maybe aren't like the Twitters and the Instagrams and the YouTubes, some of those that may be good for people to consider in the social media space. I think it's thinking about the content 
content of your podcast and also being creative about being on sites that speak to that specific topic. Obviously, mine's meta. I mean, it's a podcast about podcasting, so I have to be on all the podcasting sites. Podchaser, make sure you set up a profile on Podchaser. Make sure you claim yourself as a host on Podchaser. As part of our letter, our welcome letter to guests to say thank you for being on the show, I say, hey, Billy, thanks for being on the show. Here's all the places we shared it. So I'll provide the link on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on mm. LinkedIn, the actual URL where I share the site. I use a service called Click to Tweet and I build a clickable tweet in there as well. I'll say, all you have to do is click this link. It'll open up Twitter and you can promote our show. I embed the graphics that I created in the email. I give them copy so they can use it on Facebook or Instagram. And it literally says, had a great time with Harry on Podcast Junkies episode 200. Here's the link to our show. I'm making it drop dead simple for you to share. I never want a guest to work harder to promote my show than I am because he already did me the favor of being on the show. Like I'm not going to have him hunt around for graphics. I can't tell you how many times I've been a guest on someone's show and they're like, hey, show's live. And that's the email. <laughs> like That's it. I'm just like, oh, I want to promote it. Is there a graphic? Is there something I could use? Is there a link to the show? Like make it easy for me and I'll do it. And I've seen guests like literally use the same exact copy that I gave them because I see the tweet pop up like a couple of hours later. I'm like, oh, that worked because they, <laughs> they're using it. I sent that email to Grammar Girl, Minion Fogarty. She was on season two, episode 101, I believe. She teaches a course for podcasting at University of Nevada in Reno. I'll never forget this. It was the highlight of my day. She replied back. She's like, oh my God, Harry, this email is so beautifully well-written detailed. I'm going to use it as an example for my students in my podcasting course on how to market and how to best support your guests and get them to share their show afterwards. Wow. Love, love, love that. And guilty as charged. I've been that guy who's, and I've even missed, I've had people on my show. It was Mark Asquith. And so I'm going to call myself out. <laughs> Mark Asquith goes, you know, you have really thoughtful questions. You go, I don't normally say this, but I'm going to promote your show. Well, I aired his episode, didn't even let him know that it was aired. I mean, like that's full disclosure. I'm learning and I know I've made a mistake. So I'm going to send him a, a funny note saying, hey, like I dropped the ball, but it's never too late. What I'll do is I'll include, but I have done more along the lines of what you've said earlier on. I was a lot more comprehensive and thorough with what I would provide. So do you do this all in one email and do you have a, a template? Do you have anything that you've put out that I could direct people to and say like, hey, here's your template? Because it'd be a great blog post if you don't already have that. I would love to see that. I'd love to point my audience and your audience to yeah. that if it exists. Do you have that already or no? Yeah, I have the template. I mean, we use it every day for our client works. I'll get you a link to it and you can put it in the show notes and you could share it. And before you send it to Mark, I'll forward you the latest one we did. And then you could just feel free to use as needed because I think it's just the best practice. It's not like with all these things, you'll realize we're not you know, creating anything new. We're not inventing stuff. We're just kind of taking best practices. I learned, I took John's um, podcast, John Lee Dumas's Podcasters Paradise course, you know, early, mm -hmm. early, early, early on, right? And some of that is what I learned from him. And I just enhanced it. And I just wanted to be like, okay, how can I do this, but take it next level? <laughs> so yeah, the more you can put in there, the better. So yeah, I'll, I'll forward that the last email we used. Love it. Feel free to copy it and just pay it forward. No one says you need to invent the wheel, my friend. I appreciate that. You got to take knowledge from all different parts of the podcast universe and the expertise and make it your own, make the tweaks, make yeah. it better. Sorry, you were going to say something else? Well, two things. Number one, one of my coaches says, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, right? I am mm -hmm. here, literally here podcasting, having the honor of being a guest on your show because of the work that I put in for my show, but also because of all the things that I learned on how to be a better podcaster. That's what I'm sharing with you. But there's people that taught me that, that I learned, that I watched, people that I learned from that never met me, that I never met, but I'm just a consummate student. I didn't realize how much of a marketing geek I was until like, you know, the past couple of years, because I love, love talking about marketing. And was, I probably learned some stuff when I was working at E-Trade, when I was working at JP Morgan Chase, just learning from, you know, this was during the era of the E-Trade baby. So I'm just like, wow, there's like nothing that you can't try in marketing. And, and I've always been fascinated. So now, like, <laughs> students on marketing and I've done consulting. I do advising for Squadcast, another company called Podcave. I love just geeking out on ideas. I'm like, let's try this. Let's try this. It's that entrepreneurial spirit and that I learned the hard way, this, this idea of failing forward or failing fast and just getting up. Like, Mm -hmm. That first failure, you're literally like face planted in the dirt and you're just like, I just spent a couple of thousand dollars on these Facebook ads and I no one signed up and I'm just like, what the hell am I going to do? I'm just wallowing in like self-pity. Like, <laughs> but the more that happens, you just get up. You're just That's like, right. F this. You're just like back up, bounce up, bounce up, bounce up, back up. So now I'm like, I've had failures that have lasted like that I've thought about for maybe like an hour and just like, woof, that didn't work. That was like a gut punch, but I just shake it off and just like, okay, next, next, next. It's that, you know, just be comfortable 
with failure as an entrepreneur, as a podcaster, you should be comfortable with failure as a marketer, be comfortable with failure. Try things and don't try it because you hope it's going to work. Try it because it may fail, but at least you'll know it doesn't work and you can try the next thing. Fail forward and keep trying, keep trying new things, keep testing, keep experimenting. Yeah. That's the only way you'll keep making progress is by continuing to figure out what's working and what's not working. I like to say I don't like to leave any juice left in the orange. And since you already said that you love <laughs> talking about marketing, what else might surprise the audience or maybe is something that you didn't realize about a marketing strategy that was really effective? You know, we talked about when people on social media platforms are really not thinking about audios. Some of the past guests have talked about maybe you'll get more exposure there, but you're not necessarily going to get them going directly to listen to your show. So, you know, there's advertising on Overcast or there's all sorts of different things that you can do to help bring an audience. And when I did a poll prior to starting the show, I was like, what do you want to hear about most? Do you want to hear about the production side? Do you want to hear about rock star podcasters? Do you want to hear about marketing? And marketing got the most votes. People want to know how to find their audience. What kind of things have we not talked about yet that would be valuable for the audience to learn from? I keep coming back to like a name for this show that you own the domain for. There's something super powerful about like me having podcastjunkies.com. Like when my partner set up the show, she has photobusinesshealth.com. Like what are the things you can do to reverse engineer so that when people are searching for topics, we launched a show for a client in the investing space. The show is not surprisingly called Understanding Investing. <laughs> like I think we, as sometimes people get try to be a little too creative and try to create something that makes it harder for people to find you. Why would you do that? Coming back to the example, I just Googled podcast. Podcast Junkies. You know, the first link is obviously podcastjunkies.com. The second link is my Twitter profile. The third one is my link to the apple.com podcast. The fourth one is Stitcher. The fifth one is podnews.net. My profile on Podcast Junkies there on that site. The sixth one is podchaser.com. Mm. The seventh one is my show on Spotify. The eighth one is my Facebook page for podcastjunkies.com. The ninth one is podbay.fm. I didn't even <laughs> like realize <laughs> they were getting that much SEO value, but this just comes to speak to like, you know, being on there and so basically every link right now on the front page, if you Google Podcast Junkies, that's not an ad, is my show. And if I go to the second page, tune in, uh, there was a site called thissin.com, obviously gets radio.com. Like people, my Pinterest profile is showing up here. It's pretty crazy. My interview with Eric Hunley, unstructuredpod.com, shout out to him. I launched my show on podhunt.app. I launched the show or someone mentioned the show there. So literally like the first two pages of the Google, if you Google Podcast Junkies, it's my show. What could you create as a couple keywords specifically? and then own it. Like mm -hmm. when you, every time you tweet, hashtag that phrase, own that, and then just try to add as much value as possible, but also just publish on all these platforms, be on all the places where people consume podcasts, make sure you're submitting to every single directory that your host makes available. We use Simplecast. I started out with Lipson. They make it easy. Get on obviously Spotify. Those are the big ones, Google Podcasts, but Ghana is the new directory in India. You just never know which one of these are just going to blow up. You want to be there when people are searching for shows, leverage the power of people searching for topics. Topics. Google is indexing podcasts now. So like make sure you have a, a really compelling description of the title, a description in your show. Use a free service like Otter. Drop that transcription into your show notes page on your website and just place it at the bottom. You mm -hmm. don't have to display it if you don't want to. But even if you took the quick and dirty machine created version of it, at least get that on there. It's better than nothing, right? And then go out of your way to like be on shows that cover the topic that you want to be known for, that your show specializes in. Leverage other people's platforms. And then when you get on on there, this is what we tell clients. Like if you're going to get on someone's show, your goal is to be the best guest they've ever had on that podcast. Like coming with that intention, that energy, you may not happen. But if I'm like, I want to be like best guest, like Billy's ever had. Like if I ask you now, Billy, like what's your most popular episode for this podcast? Mine right now is Jordan Harbinger. And why do you think people resonated with him? He's the type of guy that's going to tell it how it is. Yeah. He's got an audience. He's got a following. And I think he's sharing ideas and concepts that smack people across the face and say, wake up. This is something you should be thinking about. Yeah. And I think people appreciate appreciate that candor and that honesty that he has. Yeah. And Jordan's a friend. We're actually, he's also an advisor in Squadcast along with uh, Pat Flynn. So I've been grateful for the opportunity to get to know them. But this speaks to this idea of doing what you're passionate about and bringing that energy and enthusiasm into the podcast. So as I started doing my show and speaking, I took speaking lessons. And so I, I wanted to start speaking at some of these podcast conferences. So I've spoken to Podcast Movement, PodFest, and then I was invited to speak at We Are Podcast, which is uh, Ronzi Vaz, who was just a recent guest, a podcast 
Podcast Conference in Australia. And mm. I was lucky enough to share the stage with Pat Flynn, with George Harbinger, and a bunch of other podcasters who I admired. And it just happened to be a conference where Ronzi created an event for three days after the conference. He had rented a house. So I'm hanging out with Dave Jackson is there. <laughs> so we're hanging out in this house with all these podcasters. And I remember at one moment, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I love that. Podcasting dream of meeting people that I respect in this space. It wouldn't happen if I didn't have something to speak about where Ronzi thought, it was important for me that I, I had something of value for his audience. And so think about what your podcast is about. And if you truly want to be known for that topic, then go out there, get out of your comfort zone, speak at other tons of virtual conferences, drop a podcast post about everything you know about this one topic. I'm just always thinking creatively, how do I get more people to find out? Well, my podcast is about podcasts. So why don't I create a list of all the podcasts that are out there about podcasts? It doesn't get more meta than that, but <laughs> it's like inception level meta. <laughs> but think about what do you want to be known for? Yeah. One of the things I'm working with students is they call it like a six word intro. I forgot who came up with it, but it's like, I help blank do blank for my agency. We help business owners launch authority building podcasts. Like, right. That's the simple one. There's no reason you can't have a one liner for your show. Like I say in the beginning, I welcome new guests every time. So this is another pro tip. Someone told me, Hey, roll out the welcome at every single episode, because you never know when people are going to just be handed. Like someone sent them episode 197 and it's the first time they've ever heard you. So I start my show every single time I've been doing doing it for the past six years. Hey, if you're new to the show, I'm Harry Duran. I'm the host of the show. This is the show where I get to speak to some of the most interesting podcast personalities out in the podosphere, people that are doing great things. It doesn't take a lot of time. Always do an open loop. This idea of open loops and callbacks is like a, a marketing idea. Reference your old episodes. In case you missed last week's episode, I had a fantastic conversation with Pat Flynn. Then at the end of the episode, say, hey, tune in next week. I've got the founder of Groupon, Andrew Mason, coming back for a second time. We're going to go deep about his recent $15 million funding of Descript and the acquisition of a liar bird, just something. You know, it's the same thing, episodic TV, right? Last week on Game of Thrones, next week on Game of Thrones. You're looking for all these opportunities to continue to pull in people into your potosphere, as I like to call it. Brilliant, my friend. And you use the word authority, and I really love this authority. And what happens when you're speaking on stage with Jordan Harbinger and Pat Flynn and all these other people, all of a sudden there's an association made between you and them. And the association is that you are a voice and authority in this space. And this space we're talking about now is podcasting, but for any listener, your space is anything. Your space is finance. Is it plumbing? It doesn't matter whatever your space is. And when you start speaking with other leaders in that space, there's that association made. You were going to say something I could tell. Yeah, I've got a great example for you. I'm always thinking outside the box. I remember last year, probably around this time, I said, I wonder if it's possible to create my own podcast production client. I had just finished reading Peter Diamandis' book, Abundance. And there was a chapter in all these future technologies. And one of them was vertical farming. Mm. And I was like, oh, this vertical farming thing is interesting. I did a little research, $14 billion industry. VC, 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 investment, investment, investment. This company got 50 million. This company got 100 million. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to apply my own best practices. I'm going to call it the Vertical Farming Podcast. No surprise there what it's going to be about. And I started targeting. I went after the guy who wrote the original book, Dixon Despamier. Still have gotten him on the show. He wrote the book on vertical farming. Then I found a guy on YouTube who did a three-part series on vertical farming, had him on. And then I looked at this website called Ag Funder Weekly, all the news about vertical farming. I invited her on. Then I started reaching out to founders and I targeted specifically CEOs and founders because I wanted that relationship. Relationship. As I started having those conversations, subsequent conversations became easier because you're like, who is this person like absolutely brand new to the vertical farming space? I've never heard of you. And I'm like, well, this is why I did this. These are my production chops. We know how to produce shows. So we're going to make sure it's going to be a highly produced, well-produced show. But by the way, I've also been interviewing 240 people. So I know a little bit about how to conduct an interview. So those established a bit of credibility for me for the show. And naturally, as I started having interviews, I said, I want to get a sponsor for the first season. So about four or five episodes in, it hit about the same time as COVID. So come March of this year, I'm speaking to the CEO of a company called Intelligent Growth Solutions with the CEO of the company in Scotland. He's at his home. I'm here in my home. And it's just that bonding moment. We hit it off a great conversation. And I'm saying, I'm looking for sponsors. He connected me with his marketing department. The guy happened to be based in Chicago. I'm like, hey, he's like, oh, we've been going to like these conferences and uh, there's no more conferences. And I was like, well, how much have you been spending on these booths? He's like, like $20,000. And I was like, <laughs> and I thought initially at a lower amount. Well, he mentioned <laughs> that. I'm like, well, how about 10000 to sponsor our podcast. And he's like, okay, that sounds about right. Let's do it. And he basically sponsored the first season before I had even released one episode. The riches are in the niches. And I'm smiling ear to ear because literally the next topic I wanted to talk about <laughs> is sponsorship. Because you have some really great ideas when it comes to sponsorship. Things like getting a package deal, doing three months, having a set amount per episode. Maybe you have two sponsors and then that just increases it. You're creating effectively a mini billboard for 
this company, this industry, whatever it is. So I've kind of given a few flavors here to get you started, but share with us your wisdom when it comes to landing a sponsorship deal and what we should be thinking about what to do and maybe what not to do. Try to avoid CPM unless you're so sure that your show is going to be so popular that you're going to hit that 50,000 downloads, 100,000 downloads. I've had great conversations with my friend Heather Osgood from True Native Media. Before they'll even consider looking at you, you need to be getting about 5,000 or 10,000 downloads per episode. And that's not that easy to do. It's very rare. Just as a point of reference, Libsyn has a very popular show called The Feed. Twice a month, they release it. And Rob Walsh is a, a stats geek and they run the median numbers for their all the shows on their platform. So it's a good representation of what's happening in the bigger ecosystem. If you're getting about 120 downloads in the first 30 days, you're doing better than 50% of all shows. If you get to about 1,100, then you're doing better than about 80% of all shows. So that's really, as a new podcaster, the only two numbers you need to be concerning yourself with. Unfortunately, if you do the math, the CPM math on that, and CPM, the M is as Roman numeral M for thousand, so cost per thousand. So typically the average rate is 25 to $30 CPM. So let's say you're getting $30 CPM. If you're getting 10,000 downloads, which is a lot, you're getting $300 per episode. Let's say you have a weekly show. Okay. You're getting $1,200 a month, which I don't think many people would think that's enough to support them <laughs> just for the podcast. And don't forget mm-hmm. the agency is going to take their 30% cut. So that comes about to a little less than a thousand bucks. So I really like new podcasters to be super specific to your point, be super niche. As I just demonstrated with the vertical farming podcast, there's power in subscribers and sponsors wanting to be part of a show where they know that audience is coming specifically for that topic. So offer per episode pricing and then begin to price it. So it's so easy for them to commit to a longer period. So if you're charging $200 per episode, if you just want to advertise once, and by the way, if you want to do a month, that's four episodes, instead of 800, it's going to be, let's say $700. So they get a slight discount. And then if you do a full quarter, let's say 13 weeks, then that's when you start to be creative and say, you know, that would be normally 2,600. So you say, hey, it's $2,000 for the quarter. So just make it so that the discounts they get, the more they're committed to, the better it is for them. The old sales maxim, people need to hear a product mentioned seven to 10 times before they take action on it. When you develop this type of relationship with your sponsors, you're benefiting yourself, you're benefiting your sponsor, and you're benefiting the listener. Your sponsor gets that repeated mention of you mentioning the company or the product repeatedly. And the listener is saying, wow, Harry keeps mentioning Focusrite and the Scarlet 2i2. He really must like this. He really must be passionate. So, you know, I just dropped a shout out to my sponsor on your show because I'm so passionate about the fact that they've bought in for the year and have been a sponsor of Podcast Junkies. You will bend over backwards and you should for your early sponsors. And then you as a host, you benefit because you don't have to go chasing down sponsors for like every single episode. Once you land that sponsorship, Billy, just literally like do everything you can. Put on that marketing hat back on and say, what could I possibly do for Focusrite? With my limited platform, how can I show them that I really mm-hmm. love it? So it's not just the pre-roll, it's not just post-roll, but they get tagged. Like literally at the top of every social post for Podcast Junkies, thank you to our sponsor. I tag Focusrite. It's on Instagram, it's on Twitter, it's on LinkedIn. So they're getting tagged there. They get prominent placement in my newsletter that I send it every week to my newsletter subscribers. I wouldn't have this show without my sponsorship, so thank you to Focusrite. And then there's any other opportunities if the company is doing something interesting. They recently had a contest where they were like giving away Squadcast memberships and some gear. And I said, hey, I want you to throw in three winners, throw an hour of coaching with me. I just want to offer that as a way to to sweeten up the offer. So just keep thinking like, what else could I do? Mm. So as I show my listeners how much I love what Focusrite is doing, a go above and beyond because that's what's going to separate you from the other podcast hosts who are just doing the standard ad read. You want them to say, wow, Yes, you're giving that same white glove treatment that you would give to a podcast guest. You're giving that same thing. I have a guest coming on down the road who's going to be talking specifically about sponsorships. And one of the things that she talked about is this concept of reporting back and letting them know at least once a month, you know, you have a check-in call or maybe quarterly you have this review of like everything you did, which comes back to the point that you made, which is it doesn't need to be about the download numbers. You've made this point. It's really about creating a media package that encompasses everything, including their social. You've highlighted a bunch of things right there, the email, the social media. Can you talk a little bit more about that component of it and just why it's not just about the download numbers. It's about much broader than that. It's a couple of things that are happening. You're demonstrating to them that you value the relationship. And so you're going out of the way. You have to find out like what their handle is on LinkedIn, what their handle is on Twitter, what their handle is on Instagram, and make sure that they get tagged. And you're also demonstrating to your listeners that what the value is of partnering with me in the show. Because you know, you'll inevitably have other people who have products or have sponsors who may be interested and they're like, wow, like I can see from a distance how much work Harry puts in or how much work we do on the Vertical Farming Podcast when we promoted Intelligent Growth Solutions. I'm just thinking about ways like where can I just arbitrarily like mention my sponsor somewhere? 
weird. Like I just did twice on your show. Like I just want people to know that I value and thoroughly honor the fact that people are taking a chance to promote their stuff on my show. And, and I just don't take that decision lightly. I think we just think, oh, it's just a transaction. I, I never see it as a transaction. Right. And even on these conversations, if you come into these conversations with the intention of making it transactional, you're going to lose every time. Like it really has to be like a mutual benefit. Like what else can I do for Billy? What else can I do for Billy's audience? What else can I provide so that they feel like they walk away from this conversation being like, wow, I learned something I didn't know. I was pushed out of my comfort zone. I was made to think differently. Like that's my objective. And that's why, you know, I try to do that as much as I can when I show up as a guest. You've noticed the common thread here. I do it with my guests. You know, I do it with my sponsors in all aspects. Just try to see. You do it with your clients, right? Obviously, obviously with clients as well. It all comes back to the common thread of it's about the relationships. So we talked about sponsorship, but the other side of that fence is proactively having a product, a service, a business that you're promoting, which is your own. And so I want to talk a little bit about conversion, which again, not to chase download numbers, really you have suggested some really good and important things, which is like having a lead magnet, having a super and easy to remember URL. What are the either common mistakes that you see people make with taking people from being a listener to being a potential client or customer? What's some advice or some threats? that we haven't yet discussed that would help with the conversion piece for somebody that's listening to your show. If I podcast for my business, like to become a client of what we do? Yeah, to become a client or and not just for you personally, but could it be for your clients and they run a business, plumbing business or whatever it may be. What are the building blocks to make sure they're getting the type of conversion that you would want them to get and, and see some success from a business development standpoint of their show? Overall, what comes to mind is the phrase, think with the end in mind. Number one, you should have content that's evergreen. Obviously, a daily news show is not going to be evergreen content. We coach clients and saying, hey, whether someone listens to your show tomorrow, yesterday, or three years later, they should be getting value out of it. You never know when people are going to find your show. A great example is a show we produce for the Granger Network, and it's called Leadership Impact. And Carrie Granger is the host. She's an executive coach specifically for CEOs. And one thing that she does, which I love, she considers her podcast episodes prescriptions. And so when she's having a conversation with a prospect, typically a CEO, and let's say the topic is around accountability, her whole season two, was about accountability. She gives a theme to each season and she'll say, hey, Billy, what you've talked about is something that I've actually addressed on these podcast episodes. So go back and listen to episode three, six, and nine, and then schedule a follow-up call with me. And then we'll take it from there and we'll see how I can help you. Now, if you just think about that, the, the podcast doing the heavy lifting for you. She doesn't have to be on four or five different calls. She just has to be on the one. Let them listen to her in her element on a professionally produced show that's specifically like short, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. I always coach clients like it's an espresso shot of content. It should be like really valuable without the fluff. So people feel like they get it and they're like, oh, okay, this is what I needed specifically. And so that model is great. I love that. This idea of having your podcast almost be like the audio version of your brochure. And needless to say, the cobbler's kids always have the worst shoes. As much as I have podcast junkies, I didn't have a podcast for full cast. So (laughs) so naturally we are now launching a show and no surprise in the name of the show, it's called How to Start a Podcast for Your Business. That's the name of the podcast because I want when people search that phrase, I want them to find the podcast. And it's only about seven episodes. And we're taking those pillars, that liver connected influence pillars we talked about, and then the dive down on the plan, promote, and profit, the six of those. I'm just reading off what's in the course. Each episode is about five to seven minutes. The objective there is to have something that sits there now is evergreen, and I can direct people to that. I can put it in my, when people download my lead magnet, for example, I send them to a URL called fullcast.co forward slash game plan, and they can download our, our lead magnet. If once they get it, they see me like video and says, hey, Billy, thanks for downloading the PDF. You can get now engage with us on all these different platforms. So what I'm going to add there is my podcast episodes and be like, oh, by the way, why don't you go listen to episode one of our podcast where I talk about the basics and the mindset you need before starting a podcast for your business. So really think about how you take people on a journey. If you're talking about a specific topic in the show, have a lead magnet that corresponds to that topic. Hey, I know just we, mm. talked, we just talked about the importance of guiding a team or having effective team meeting. Go to myshow.com forward slash checklist and download the six things you need to do to prepare for the next meeting with your team. So it's very closely tied into the content. So people listen to it and they're like, oh, I'm excited about this topic. I just listened to it. You know, How do I engage? And so they take that next step. Make sure you're getting them to a form that collects the email. Make sure that email gives them a welcome page. Make sure you send that four part, five part welcome sequence. Get people, tell people your origin story so they know who you are. And then that's where you can slow down the conversation and say, by the way, we're also on these platforms. By the way, we have a book. By the way, we have a course. 
you try to jam all that into the end of your podcast episode, you're going to lose people. It's too much, right? And you got to keep it simple. Harry, I'm, I'm so grateful. As we're wrapping up here, the last sort of two concepts, I'll package it together in one question. You're a big believer in systematizing your approach, in having SOP. Let's face it, running a podcast, there's a lot of moving parts. It's not hard, but it's time consuming and there's so much going on. So I guess part one of my question is, what are the tools you use? And you, by the way, I'll, I'll include this link, but you have a list of all your tools, things like Trello and Mail chimp and Alphonic. I mean, there's so many different things you use. Wondering what tools do you use? You know, talk about the way in which you think about producing your own show to make it easier or to have like some standing operating procedures. That's one part of the question. And the second part of the question, which is sort of tangentially related is where are you getting your news from? And, and like, what resources are you using to keep updated in the podcast space? So one is more about production and keeping yourself on track. And we could have a whole podcast probably just about this. But if you give us a flavor and give us some of your wisdom when it comes to helping kind of making it more manageable on the front end and making your show run seamlessly, because I could tell you from my vantage point, I'm still figuring my system out and it's taking some time. I published a post that I need to update on the Fullcast site. And it's like all the tools we use at Fullcast to do production work for our clients. So I think there'd be a lot of overlap. So I'll make sure I give you a link to that. And it's probably a, a nice reminder for me to update it for 2020 probably now 2021 at this point, but I'll make sure. But some of the basics, you know, obviously a scheduling tool. We've been using Edgar for a long time. So big fans of their tool set, uh, something that can track the progress for you. We use monday.com for our clients. We have a, there's an external facing checklist that where we can show people what we're doing from an onboarding perspective. And then there's an internal facing checklist. We use Zapier a lot to, for the movement of files, a huge fan of Zapier. One of the best practices for thinking about automating tasks that I learned Ari Mizell, who we're in a mastermind together. He's amazing productivity guru. The first thing you want to do is make sure that the process itself is optimized. And then after you're ensured that process is optimized and then you automate it. You don't want to, auto, mm. you don't want to automate a process that's not optimized. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. And the way you do that is you, you literally document it. When I got started, I knew I was going to have a VA. So I would write down everything that I'm doing as I'm doing it, even though I'm the only one that's going to look at that SOP. So I'm just like, okay, these are the steps. Click this, do this, do this. Like do that now early on while you're a one person show, because that's going to be super valuable when you get a VA. Then you can automate it. You only automate it after it's been optimized. And then if you can't automate it, that's when you outsource. So it's optimize, automate, outsource in that order, because people sometimes jump too far. They want to outsource something when they probably could have automated it, or they want to outsource something that's not been optimized. There's nothing worse than saying, hey, I need help with this project. And your VA is saying, okay, what do I do? And you're like, uh, I don't know. Like you just haphazardly give her directions. If you need a short, quick version, quick and dirty, just use like a, a loom video just of you clicking on all the buttons and send them that. One of my VAs makes a mistake. It's my fault because I didn't provide clear instructions. If you leave any room for ambiguity in your instructions, like any gray area, room for interpretation, just because of the culture, like they'll follow directions to a T for you. But if they pause and they're like, I don't know what Harry meant here, or I need to interpret something here, that's going to put a huge bottleneck in your process and they'll get stuck and they won't continue. And so I'm always of the mindset, if someone that I'm working for is making a mistake, it's on me because I didn't provide clear enough instructions. Such a valuable takeaway. And I love that you're talking about optimizing the entire process before you go into the, the delegation and before you go into the automation side of the fence. And kind of the last piece here is for somebody listening to this show right now, is there any sources that you would recommend? Obviously your show, Podcast Junkies, is a great source. What else do you think would be valuable for the audience to know? as a place to go get more information about podcasting, about the industry? That's one of the best places. There's a lot of peers. I think podnews.net for the best information about what's happening in the world of podcasting. And that's where I go to. I listen to the podcast or if I don't catch the podcast, I'll read the newsletter. So that combination. But there's other folks, Jonathan Bailey Strong as a podcast, as a newsletter for things that are happening outside or at New York City based. Nick Kwa has the Hot Pods. His Hot Pod, that's his newsletter. He covers more of the bigger industry, sort of like the procasters. Bellow Collective is another good newsletter. So there's a good handful of them, but I think there's no shortage of people coming out. And just find which tone you resonate with. There's a lot of people starting newsletters on Substack, but just immerse yourself. If podcasting is your thing, and you know, for Billy and I, we're geeking out on podcasting, so we can't get enough news about it. But whatever your show is, whatever your podcast is, whatever your topic you're covering, inevitably, if there's not a newsletter about it, that's another marketing idea to start one. So mm. back to my earlier example, I'm now starting a newsletter called Vertical Farming Weekly for the sole purpose of promoting the podcast because I'm going to say this weekly newsletter is brought to you by Vertical Farming Podcast. So again, this circular reference of ways you can have create a property that whose sole purpose is to promote your podcast and then mm. circularly reference it. So on the podcast, I would mention the newsletter. And so you can think about all these things that in and of itself, they sort of combine together like, like Voltron to even further date myself. 
<laughs> I love that, man. Well, Harry, I could talk for hours and I thank you for your time. You could find Harry, first of all, podcastjunkies.com. His podcast is everywhere. And as already said, you could just type in Google and you'll see a ton of different places. Also, his production and podcast agency is fullcast.co. If you want to see all their services, just put a forward slash services. His book around the podcast campfire has a ton of great stories from a lot of his early guests. He also has a podcast, as he mentioned, Vertical Farming Podcast, which is a very niche-oriented podcast. You can find him at Twitter, Harry Duran. That's like D-U-R-A-N, like Duran Duran, F-C. LinkedIn, Harry Duran, D-U-R-A-N again. Harry, where am I missing? Where else can people find you and where else can people learn more from you? I think you've covered all the platforms, I think, at this point. Yeah, depending on what your need is, if you are interested in hearing stories from some amazing podcasters who've been doing some really cool things, Podcast Junkies is definitely place active pretty much every day on LinkedIn. So people want to connect with me there. That's helpful. And then Twitter and Instagram, not so much, but probably LinkedIn as well. Love it, love it, love it. Well, I can't thank you enough for all the wisdom, the insights, the knowledge, the experiences that you've shared with every listener today. I know that they're going to take a ton of value from it. Harry Duran, thank you for being on For the Love of Podcast. Thank you, Billy. I really appreciate it. Well, I'll be. You're still here. The code word this week is gravy. Send me an email with the word gravy to let me know you heard this episode And I'm going to send you an epic, and I mean epic, podcast marketing document that I built. Essentially, I curated over 100 marketing tips and ideas from a wide range of sources and synthesized them into one package. This is not some marketing gimmick. This is a gift that I want to give you as a loyal listener who listened to this entire episode. And I got to say, thank you. It really means a lot to have you on this journey with me. My email, in case you don't know, is billy at com. And again, the secret word is gravy. Next week is part two of my conversation with the legendary Cliff Ravenscraft. If you missed part one, it was last week, so go check that one out. In part two of my interview, we talk about some of the challenges he's faced in business. And he shares his story of how he almost lost his life after a year of working like crazy. In true Cliff fashion, he doesn't hold back and openly shares the rest of his life and podcasting journey. So if you liked part one, you're going to love part two. And until then, remember, everything we do, we do it for the love of podcast.